Welcome to STEM Unplugged, a monthly podcast designed to help you learn about STEM initiatives and to help advance STEM awareness. Now here's your host, Kelly Green. Welcome to STEM Unplugged. This is Kelly Green, the Chief Operating Officer of SciTech Institute, a collaborative nonprofit organization making STEM connections in Arizona and beyond. In the studio, I have my team members, Claire Conway, who's working to build the Arizona STEM ecosystem one hub at a time, and our Arizona Chief Science Officer, Chalet. In this episode of STEM Unplugged, we will be exploring STEAM, STEM in music and media, Our guests on the show are Garth Payne, a professor of digital sound and interactive media at the School of Arts, Media, and Engineering at ASU, and Evan Tobias, an associate professor of music, learning, and teaching at Arizona State University's School of Music, Dance, and Theater. Can you share a little bit about yourself with our listeners? Sure. As you mentioned, first of all, thanks for having me here. Real pleasure. And I'm on the music, learning, and teaching faculty over in the School of Music, Dance, and Theater at ASU. And um, I primarily work on helping music teachers and folks think really expansively about what music learning and teaching can be. And in in this context, very interested in connections between music, science, society, and um, futures. That's excellent. You actually know Garth a little bit, Evan. So you could maybe share a little bit what the two of you are working on, because I know the School of Arts, Media, and Engineering at ASU is an innovative cross-disciplinary school, which is really leveraging art, science, humanities, and technology to really drive positive change in complex social issues. Now, as a former classroom teacher, I relied heavily on my methods courses from Wittenberg University to really learn how to integrate the arts to the curriculum. Mm. One of my favorite professors, Dr. Claudia Cornett, helped educators find the connection to music, art, drama, and dance in every lesson we were presenting. So, Let's get right into it. What do you think is the importance of integrating the arts into the curriculum? Now, not only STEM, CSO Chalet, but how does it actually impact learning? What are your thoughts as a chief science officer? Great question, Kelly. As a junior in high school and a fifth-year CSO, uh, I think that STEM um, and arts, they really tie in together so well because there's so many, you know, elements of the other that Um, just integrate perfectly. And I think that students, they love arts and they love STEM. And so I think that giving them as many opportunities to do those two things at the same time is really essential to a student's education. Evan, what are your thoughts? Yeah, thanks, Julia. I think that's that's great. I I agree. I think um, there are so many ways that arts and science, technology, engineering, math, are organically intersected out in real life, outside of school, and just the way that people forward their artistic processes. So I come at it from a music perspective. When I look at some of the things that people are doing musically, when they want to forward their work, they're often going into engineering, going into science to do what they want to do artistically. And when I think about the possibilities in schools and education, I think about sometimes when we have separations between, let's say, a science class over here and a music class over there, we might be missing the possibilities for connections that exist organically if we were to um, have people working collaboratively and together. So I think that integration opens up a lot of possibilities. Well, I think your focus with music teachers and the work that you're doing is really about that engagement and then even inquiry, right? Like if you think about science and technology and then how you can integrate the music, what are some of the specific things you've been working on that really kind of highlight that for educators? 
Yeah, sure. So um, I look at inspiration from students who have moved through the program and the interesting projects that they've done. So for instance, there was a student in our, our program, an undergraduate who had an art history major and also had a music major. And we were looking at um, different ways that we can integrate technology. Um, and when we were having a conversation, I had bought some different kinds of microcontrollers and we we're kind of figuring out like, what do we do with these creatively? What are some interesting things that we could do with this? And she came up with the idea to have an interactive painting um, where mm. she would use conductive ink and kind of figure out what this even meant because she wasn't, she had never worked with this material before. And so she ended up creating a, a triptych of Peter and the Wolf where um, people can go up and touch the different characters and hear the leitmotifs, the, the musical themes from That's Peter and the cool. Wolf when they touched the painting. And in order to be able to do that, she had to learn, well, how do I even connect the painting? What is it? What okay. is conductive ink even? And, and what, what is capacity and um, how much ink do I need to put on? And what happens if I paint over it? Does that dilute it? So in this way, it was a music and art project, but science was fully integrated into it in a way where she needed the science and technology to forward these, this artistic vision. We've also been curious about coding and programming and computational thinking and knowing that th there are a lot of schools who are doing this kind of work and wondering what happens when you approach computational thinking and coding and programming from a musical perspective. So we played around with Scratch, programming language, Sonic Pi, and um, having people where the programming was to forward a musical desire. I want to make my music sound like this. What do I need to learn to be able to do that? And through that process they were learning different aspects of computational thinking and coding, although that wasn't the initial desire was to learn this function or to learn this type of thing. So a lot of the integration comes through artistic projects and visions that need the science and technology to forward those artistic visions and trying to figure out what does this mean in K-12 context is what we're trying to figure out. Yeah, that's great. I think we've talked about that a lot of times about how, you know, the underlying skills of even being leaders, right, leaders in STEM, that it's not just being able to, you know, share information, but share information in an exciting way. Mm -hmm. So I kind of feel like that goes back to integrating the arts as well, that, you know, just doing science and math is great. But when you can present it and, you know, integrate the arts to share it, you can probably reach an entirely new audience as well. So that's pretty neat. So we want to welcome Garth back. Are you there? Can you hear us yes. now? <laughs> yes, I am. Great. I apologize. <laughs> no problem. Can you tell us, our listeners, a little bit about yourself and some of the things that you're working on? Sure. I'm a um, professor in the School of Arts, Media and Engineering, um, and also in the School of Music. I work around these similar ideas about how music can be interactive, but also how forms of computation will allow us to take that forward and generate new kinds of experiences, new kinds of learning pathways for students. And so those uh, focus at the moment, I guess, in two principal areas um, in the music part of my work, and that is networked devices, so um, composing music across network microcontrollers so we can have any number of them spread anywhere you like, and you might have seen like about a thousand of them around the um, Scottsdale Museum of Contemporary Art last year uh, for a project that we collaborated with Squid Soup and the museum on um, where music and light were being passed around the museum based on how people walk past the museum and so on. And a system that I developed in um, when I was uh, in residence at AirCam in Europe, where I can also play music across everybody's cell phones in the audience. So 
ways of of thinking about space and network devices and particularly devices that we all have as a way of performance in in concert venues. Um, And then the other side of my work is in acoustic ecology where we're looking at how sound tells us about the environment and how it could be a powerful tool in both predicting and managing climate impact. That's pretty powerful. That's a, let's let's unpack one of those first, and I think Julie can unpack a second one. But I realize that the gaming industry and popularity is continuing to grow. So, how will the spatial audio um, be the future of sound for gaming and movies and recording? Like Evan, what are your take on those very specific popular uses of sound, and then how do we, you know, help people understand what? it takes to produce or be part of that industry. Yeah, I would, when it comes to the specific skills and expertise, I would default to Garth and the folks over in our AME. But I think from um, an educational standpoint, we know that that people learn through gameplay. There's tons of research on this. ASU has a Center for Games and Impact, which has done a lot of research in this area as well. And I think there's so much potential for game worlds, virtual worlds, virtual environments, and spatial audio being a place where people explore, whether that's um, using pre-existing game environments or exploring things like Unity and going into and developing game systems and playing around with spatial audio. And where this might exist in the school is, I think, where that potential of interdisciplinary collaboration comes in, where is this in the media arts class? Is this in a CTE class? Is this in a um, engineering class and a, a math because of acoustics? Or is it a little bit in all of these different places with a meta project happening? Um, I think there's so much potential there. When it comes to what, how does spatial audio work and all that, I would default over to folks like Garth and people over in AME for that. Yeah, Garth, what are your thoughts? It is the future. It's as simple as that. Um, <laughs> gaming is going, you know, 100% towards ambisonic 3D sound uh, mixing and spatialization. Um, I've just, in fact, built a dome at AME that has 36 loudspeakers across it in order to both mix and perform full 3D ambisonic audio. So I think it's completely the future. <laughs> and, and I see this coming through concert venues who are putting in, you know, really complex spatial audio systems and the kind of work that I've been doing with cell phones, which expands that so that it's not just kind of in the loudspeakers, which are out there somewhere, but it becomes a really personal experience. And as you can imagine, when you've got, I don't know, a thousand people in a concert and suddenly you have like, you know, a thousand extra loudspeakers across the audience, um, the kinds of experiences that you can produce musically with that are really extraordinary. And it binds everybody together in a, in a really new and innovative way. It's, it's quite a profound thing. You know, I think that there's something to be said about experiences in general. So for those that maybe have never been to, you know, the performing arts or a concert or an experience that you just described, what, and I'll go back to Evan, because again, from the teacher's perspective, you know, field trips are huge and field trips are so important. We have incredible opportunities here in Arizona to take students to, for example, the the music um, instrument museum, you have, you know, the Orpheum Theater, you've got the symphony. Why are those experiences so important, even at the, you know, kindergarten level, like you said, Garth, ex- experiencing that sound? What are your thoughts to, you know, help invite teachers to kind of seek those opportunities? Uh, well, first of all, I think there's something about 
we, we've all experienced place in, in varied contexts this past year, right? Where like, what, where is a place and what does it mean to be somewhere is, is much more expanded. But there's something about all of these cultural spaces and arts spaces that you mentioned are so inviting to people and reach out. They, most of them have educational or outreach programs that would love to work with teachers and they do a fantastic job at this. And there's something so special about being a young person or being an adult and being in these places where this is what's, you're in this place and this is what's in front of you and you can experience it without necessarily worrying about or thinking about all the other things going on in your life. It's not necessarily escape escapism, but it's this being together in community with other people in a space where you can experience art, culture with other people. And um, th- there's something really special about it whether it's physically in that place or through VR or XR or AR and all these different kinds of systems. But um, yeah, I would encourage all of the teachers, whether you are an arts educator or a general educator, to work with any of the cultural organizations around the Valley and to make connections with them and, and have students experience those places that they might not have a chance to in other at other points in their life to yeah. build those relationships. You yeah. just mentioned, you brought something to mind, you know, during the pandemic, there was a ton of youth groups or choirs or bands that were doing these incredible, I don't even know what you say, call them, but like the Zoom, you know, a bunch Universal of Universal performances. Yeah, that, there you go. It was really empowering to allow everybody to be able to mm-hmm. click and experience. I think that is you know, one of the silver linings of this horrible, crazy pandemic, but people were creative and Mm. willing to share their passion in a new way. So what about you, Garth? What are some of your thoughts about, you know, inspiring anybody? And I'm talking (laughs) adults, right? There are some people that don't understand the power of sound. Yeah, I think, I mean, I actually, although I'm you know, often referred to as a composer, I I actually call myself an experienced designer Um, because I think when we're making uh, performative works that people are going to come and engage with, you are creating an experience for them to have. Um, And fundamentally, you know, when we're addressing really these really massive challenges that we have on a global level at the moment, the thing that really drives the society to bind together is culture and cultural activity. You know, I mean, it is the very word culture, right? Yeah. And so I think the arts are really massively powerful at bringing experiences to people that help them frame what's important in their lives and equally bringing experiences to people and, as Evan is saying, gathering people together in a way that helps drive change. So I think I think it's massively important. I've I've done a I was on the early Kickstarter for Oculus, for instance, in order to build captures of the of national park scenes so that we could bring them into hospitals and aged care homes and into schools. And one th- experience that really sticks in my head is being out in Joshua Tree doing Junior Rangers Day and we were running the VR out of the back of my Subaru in the middle of Joshua Tree and showing all these kids other parts of Joshua Tree. And they were like so excited to go there, right? They weren't just looking around going, oh, cool. They were looking around going, can we go there? Can we go there now? Like, where is that? You know, and I think the that through the application of technology, we can really engage people deeply in having a sense of stewardship and agency in the world around us and really acting to help us, you know, with some of the challenges that we're trying to address at the moment. So let's break that down a little bit more, this idea that you mentioned of acoustic ecology. 
Um, this year, Chief Science Officer Amelie from Sonora, Mexico, uh, she started a focus group called CSOs for the World, which ta- uh, kind of dealt with being aware of the current situation of the environment. Uh, what is the power of acoustic ecology to engage the community in environmental stewardship? Perhaps I could start with that. So through the Acoustic Ecology Lab, we do a bunch of work in the community, uh, running listening workshops with people, um, which is basically just teaching people a few basic listening skills to listen to the environment. And people find that really transformative, that it allows them to engage in the environment in a kind of conscious way that they hadn't done before. And then in terms of the kind of STEM addition to that, we they then... Many of them also record for us on a regular basis, and then we've used that material um, to build computer models to map the change of the sound of the environment to the weather conditions as a kind of predictive model. So out of that community work comes the scientific and technical work. But But I would go back to saying that the act of listening is something that gets lost in the busy world of, of our urban lives. And going back to just the practice of listening to the land um, tells us an immense amount about the health of the environment and how it's changing, about our connection to it, about our connection to each other and our connection to all of the other species that are present in that landscape. And it's such a simple thing to do. And it's really profound. Um, And again, you know, when we've been running workshops with kids um, around listening and recording, it's just so amazing to watch them go hunting for the sounds that they're hearing with headphones on a little microphone going, trying to find the bugs or the birds and really exploring the environment. So I guess going back to what Evan was saying earlier, that sense of, of making it a practical task of of discovery really inspires them to want to take that further. Even just mentally, I think that having that experience is so just centering and it um, really makes you feel peaceful inside. Evan, (laughs) what are are some of your thoughts on it? You know, acoustic ecology, perhaps like in connection or more expansively, um, I'm working on a project right now that's not specific to acoustic ecology itself, but deals with environment and music. And it's with some of my colleagues over in Mary Lou Fulton and uh, School for the Future of Innovation Society and Center for Science and Imagination. And what we're looking at is um, what happens when we invite um, high school students to imagine possible possible futures of what, what will the world be like and sound like and look like if it's powered by solar power. And so it's thinking through what, what do energy transitions look like in the future, but through a musical paradigm. And in this case, it's not necessarily recording sounds. Some of them did approach it that way, but create music that imagines this future. And it really opens up this space to connect people to their direct environment now and to think about what it might be like in the future if it were solar. And it's been, um, we're still looking at the data coming in, but it's very eye-opening and a really positive light in that it's opened up the space for people to think about possible futures that are solar, that are connected to environment and society in ways that um, we weren't quite sure what would happen. And um, it's, it's really exciting. It's exciting to see this potential. I think that's a pretty powerful statement too, right? If we all kind of stop for a few seconds, it's funny because we're on a podcast, so we want people to listen, (laughs) but the amount of noise you create as an individual and then as a collective group, and then based on where you're located, right? How sound reacts to the different environments you're in. 
I don't know, you know, you kind of say that, Shalaya, of that peaceful, if you're you're mm-hmm. able to pause and listen. I You say it's easy, Garth. Why do you say that's easy? I, do you think that, you know, maybe we could give a couple of tips to the listeners of how do we pause? How do we actually practice being a, a listener? Oh, absolutely. So the three basic skills that I teach, which I'll do very, very quickly today, <laughs> one is active listening, which is to sit down and um, and listen to all of the interactions and sound around you. So you might hear a bird call, another one call, reverberation off a building, a vehicle go past and so on and so forth. So that's one mode, active, list, uh, active listening. Um, the next one would be directed listening where you, you would sit down um, and listen and kind of put your hearing out to an object that you really want to like put under the microscope listening wise. So let's take a bird call again, but now you're really listening to every detail of it and the edge of the sound and so on and so forth. And the third one, which sounds really simple, but is actually by far the most difficult is passive listening, which is to listen to the entire soundscape at once and to get a kind of sense for the entire environment. And that's really difficult because our biology tells us to pay attention to difference and change and so on. Um, So those are three listening skills. But the other thing that I often do with people, which is an easy takeaway, is to sit down and I ask people, go to a place you like the sound of and just listen there for a little while. And what is really interesting about that is that it sounds kind of weird because you've probably never heard anybody say that before and everybody can do it straight away. And what's really critical about that is that that means that sound is a profound part of our memory and our makeup and that we can bring that back as if it were the reality just straight away like that. And it's always a really meaningful, you know, environment that you like to go to, your grandmother's kitchen, you know, it's always an important personal connection. So that would be, you know, a couple of skills that people can practice really easily. And I can promise you, if you sit down and practice those twice a week for five minutes, your your life will change dramatically. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. (laughs) And it's free. (laughs) Yay! Free dollars. Free dollars. That's the best price for me. Uh, It's probably for teachers too, right? Like, so... You know, when you get into the class, it's going to be a little different, right? There's going to be a whole new perspective of, you know, the first two weeks of school as schools open back up, new ways to interact. Again, as a classroom teacher, first two weeks of school were always so important on building that community. But I did use a lot of music and sound, um, turn off the lights, kind of a calming space because I did want them to enjoy being in my room. But what are some tips and tricks you have for teachers, Evan? I think, um, yeah, I, I would go straight away with what Garth is talking about, of like being present and listening and, and thinking about that. And then where I would take that next is possibly interacting with the sound and sort of making it your own. So a lot of teachers have experimented with um, having students create soundscapes and and um, and even with very low barrier entry points, whether it's garage bands, web-based music applications where you can go around, sample some sounds around in your environment, put them into a digital audio workstation, and then create out of those sounds something new and unique. But in that process of doing that, you've had your first set of listening when you kind of listened and collected the sounds. And then you have another rounds of listening as you're engaging with this content and creating something out of that. And 
if everyone is working with the same material, you have lots of different perspectives of mm. how people took the same sounds and changed it up. Or we were experimenting during the pandemic um, when in one of the classes that I was in where everyone was kind of sampling sounds of their own environments. And then we kind of created a collaborative composition out of that. And that was just interesting of really drawing attention to everyone's different environments and, and what that meant and having and those interesting conversations that happened. So it's drawing attention to sounds, listening, and then interacting and playing with them to be creative. Yeah, that's pretty, pretty powerful. Shalai, have you ever used GarageBand? Have you ever used that? <laughs> I have not used GarageBand, but actually um, for my action plan this year, I created a series of video segments for my uh, school's video announcements that I was still able to play and show to all of the students at my school virtually. Um, and I had to do a lot of sound stacking for that um, mm. because you know, I was educating about career awareness in the different uh, in science careers, technology careers, engineering careers, and mathematical careers. And I found that if it was just me talking, you know, doing a voiceover, that's not super engaging. <laughs> Students aren't going to be paying a lot of attention. They're just going to be on their phone instead. So <laughs> I found that uh, overlaying music and, and different types of sounds really helped me keep their engagement so that they could um, get that information and absorb it uh, to the best of their abilities. And this is actually making me think that, you know, I want to uh, continue this action plan next year. Um, and I think that a great way to make it grow, I've been, I've been thinking about this, how do I make it grow? How do I make it better? How do I improve upon it? Would be to incorporate an arts uh, segment and um, talk about some of the careers that kind of provide an intersection for uh, STEM and the arts and music, because I think that would be really valuable for my students to hear. Yeah. That sounds yeah. fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, as you can see, we're SciTech Institute and CSO International are super excited about the possibilities of interdisciplinary arts and STEM collaboration. But what do you see as next steps? You know, Claire's working on communities. We have our school connections. And then even, like I said, the chief science officers, they have to do an action plan. And we've been, you know, trying to promote them to engage with all students. And most students don't necessarily identify themselves as STEM until they understand that it's really related to all things STEAM. So, you know, like, for example, graphic design and then utilizing a technology platform to utilize that creative outlet. So, teaching those students, helping those CSO advisors that are usually teachers focus on integrating, you know, these outreach opportunities, we would love to kind of discuss what could we, the th you know, our groups do together to really grow and make a bigger impact. Do you have any specific things, Evan, going on that you would say, you know, you have specific teacher training programs or things that people could get involved with? Yeah, I think the first, I, I think I'm so thankful that Shalay is here with us because the first thing I would do is go to students and ask them, what are you interested in? Um, like, uh, what what do you what what do you want from the world? What do you want from the world? What where are, what are your goals? Where do you see things going? And have a lot of folks in the room and at the table to kind of have that conversation. And then from that, start making some connections. And of course, leveraging resources at ASU. There, it, ASU is so much of a culture of yes and how and um, and uh, you know Garth is doing. I'm always inspired by the work that Garth is doing and folks over in AME. Um, and so I think you can bring people together and to start to think about okay, if these are some of the goals, if these are some of the futures that we imagine are being possible, then what 
what do we need to do to get there? And how do we figure that out? And there are many, um, the music learning teaching program is obviously open to all this, but there are many teachers who would love to collaborate if someone knocked at the door or <laughs> um, invited them in and asked, um, you know, hey, would you be interested in collaborating? So I would keep it open at first, but then in terms of concrete things, I think um, figuring out where, where are those points where um, art and music can actually drive the science forward? What does that even mean? Um, and then on the other hand, um, where are the places where um, there is a pressing social issue and we can explore that pressing social issue, whether, and whether it's STEM related or socially related through an arts paradigm and where kind of STEM can help accelerate that. So, um, but yeah, I would first go to, to young people and ask them, um, what should we be doing? What do you think? And then kind of have some examples of other things that are available. That's perfect. That's what CSO is all about. <laughs> what about you, Garth? Any very specific or details you'd like to share? Yeah, I mean, I think that it's also worth reframing that that kind of question in a, a little bit in the sense that when we're looking at the arts these days, there's an incredible amount of engineering involved. Like people are really working with technology at a very high level, writing their own code. Both Evan and I have talked about um, students using microcontrollers, um, Raspberry Pi, you know, microcomputers, writing their own code and so on and so forth. And certainly one of the catchphrases at AME for students coming in is basically code or be coded. You know, the old, the old term that you can make your own future rather than allow the products that are out there to form your creative expression. In terms of working with students, the work that we've done again, comes back to really simple starting points and, and, and kind of mirrors some of the things that Evan was talking about a moment ago, um, which is that listening is a really powerful way to just start. You know, there's so many exercises that you can do with any age school children around listening, listening to the school, going out and listening in McDowell and Preserve, for instance, or, or any of the parks around talking about that recording that, making music from that, which is already a technological intervention. So there's already technology to learn there. And then, you know, if, if at higher level students even write writing code to manipulate those sounds in order to generate um, a, a kind of extrapolated sounds from that that represent an energy of their experience of feeling what it was like to listen, and then extending that into spatial audio and composing works, even if it's just for 5.1 or binaural headphone mix or whatever. These are technical, these are very technical things. And I think that we often overlook the fact that contemporary contemporary artists are soldering circuits and writing code and building devices that, you know, are quite complex. And so there's a remarkable amount of engineering and, and sciences involved. In, in what artists are doing. In one of our previous uh, episodes, actually, was, I think it was just last month, we talked about the integration of the astronomy or astrology. What was, uh, Yeah, it was the Astronomers Association that was on talking about having a night under the stars, but with, be the, you know, including the music and creating that experience. What are your, mm -hmm. I mean, Shalai, I know, what are your goals working at NASA, right? You love mm -hmm. that. What do you think about that idea? I think that that automatically makes it 10 times more powerful to, I mean, already looking at the stars and having that experience is so powerful, but uh, then 
having that music to just tie the whole experience together and and hearing sounds. I (laughs) recently listened, sorry, (laughs) to the sounds of planets. And I think that it was really cool just to hear um, those recordings. And I know that, you know, I think it's really interesting, the cognitive powers music holds and, and how it can be tied to a memory. Like I know that this past summer I was on a a backpacking trip in Montana, and I was listening to the same few songs over and over again. And now anytime I listen to those songs, still a year later, it takes me right back to those gorgeous open fields and mountains. And so I think that being able to incorporate something like that into something as powerful as just looking at the sky uh, would be amazing. It's a great idea. Future SciTech Festival event coming our way. <laughs> right. So, you know, like I said, there's opportunities for us to collaborate in the future. And, you know, we are interested in what you're doing. And it was really unique to have this opportunity to engage with you for our STEM Unplugged show, because not everybody's really aware of all of the cool things happening all of the time. And I think the opportunity to come on tonight, you know, we want to say thank you, of course, for spending this time with us, but also, you know, really kind of highlighting your own passion. So what got you into this, Evan? Why are you doing this work? It, it, it started off with trying with thinking through, here's what's going on in society and here's what's going on in music programs and what can music programs be doing more to um, expand what currently exists. So we have our bands, orchestras, and choirs, which are amazing. What else could there be? And at the same time, interested in the environment and, and, and trying to figure out what do we do about um, climate change and trying to figure out, is there a way to connect these worlds? And I think that there is. And I was thinking recently back to my high school experience with a chemistry teacher. And I don't know why it took me so long to kind of get back to this, but I remember there was a time where he said, do some kind of creative project. You're into music, figure some creative thing you could do. And he gave me um, these two substances. I don't remember what they are anymore. And we put, he put them in a beaker and said, when you pour this into that, it will change color. And it did. It would turn this like opaque purple or blue. Um, And he said, figure out something to do with this. And I hung around for hours after school trying to time the changes to um, Thus Spoke Zarathustra, like the the, the movie music, where each time there was a big orchestral hit, like the the substances would change. And I think that that kind of imaginative possibility stayed with me. And more recently, it's trying to blend these two worlds to figure out what music is a powerful art form. People love it. It opens up a creative space. There's so much going on in the world of technology and science, and there are these pressing social issues that we need to deal with. Is there a way to merge them together? And that's what I'm trying to explore and and help other people think through that and collaborate. And um, because I think there's a positive impact that can come out of all of that. That's huge. Shout out to that chemistry teacher. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what about <laughs> what about you, Garth? What what makes you continue? You've had quite the experience, even just what we've heard tonight. You know, all around <laughs> the world. You. So, what keeps you going? Yes, I'm a gypsy. I think. I, yeah, I, I I mean, my father was a an, an actor, and then became a radio producer of of drama, radio drama for the Australian Broadcasting Corporation. And so he would bring home these radio plays to test them on us before they, you know, before they went to air and so on. And I just became super fascinated with the whole process and and all the technology because he had a reel-to-reel tape machine at home to play these things to us and so on. 
And I guess that's where my kind of interest in exploring sound more broadly came from. Um, and certainly I have a, a conservatorium background in flute and played in symphony orchestras and, you know, so on. But I wanted to... No big deal. <laughs> I, that was, well, it was too, it was absolutely amazing, but it was also very constraining. And I've always had this interest in exploring what are the future, what's the future of what I'm doing, you know. And I think that's why I've ended up here at ASU because I've, I've you know, I'm still composing music, but it allows me to think about, as I've said earlier, these new forms of playing it across everybody's cell phones and thinking about spatial audio in new ways um, and developing new techniques. But it's also thinking about sound not just in the musical context but as acoustiology and ways of engaging the community in having stewardship around the land that we live on, which helps us think about climate change not as something that's out there but as something that's right here with us. And I think because of the nature of ASU, that's just led to all kinds of things like I've just got a patent for gunshot detection out of just thinking about sound and working with the zoo to protect endangered species in Costa Rica and, you know, all kinds of other, and ASU is just this kind of boiling pot of ideas and opportunities. And you say to somebody, oh, I think we could probably approach that in a different way. And they're like, all right, let's, let's have a look let's at do it. it. Yeah. <laughs> That's pretty cool. Well, I'm again, thank you both for, you know, joining us tonight to our listeners. We encourage you to get involved in the STEM community. Maybe you're an industry professional seeking ways to make an impact or a student searching for a mentor or a community collaborator hoping to meet the right people to help make it happen. We want to get you connected. So Garth, what's one way if people were interested in getting connected, they could reach out to you? Uh, the best way would go to would be to go to acousticecologylab.org um, and you can uh, contact us through there. And then in terms of activities, um, we run regular sound walks, which are, you know, listening experiences where we go for a walk together, but in silence. And that's a really simple way of just kind of getting involved with the lab and and starting to think about listening and what it means to you. That sounds like a really cool action plan too, actually. And what, <laughs> what about you, Evan, if people wanted to reach out and get connected? Sure, they can go. Um, EvanTobias.net has all my email, my social media on it. And then for specific things related to our music learning and teaching initiatives, um, citme.asu.edu, sitme.asu.edu is where people can find out some of the projects that we're working on if they would like to connect with us that way. That's excellent. And Shalai, being a chief science officer and really advocating for STEM and STEAM for all students, not only at your school, but around, you're on the International Leadership Council. What, listening to these two share their passion and their journey, what, how do you feel tonight? I definitely feel inspired. You know, um, my musical career ended in the fifth grade, but... Me too. The trombone. <laughs> it was horrible. <laughs> the violin for me, but yes. But Recently, I've definitely been uh, using it to just mentally reflect. And I think that uh, in my um, among members of my generation, it's just um, something extremely, extremely popular to create music, to uh, listen to it, to create all of these different playlists and share it with each other. Um, it's it's a really powerful way to communicate. I know that I've heard some people use Spotify as its own type of social media, like looking up each other's profiles and types of things like that. So 
um, it's definitely, I'm going to definitely be reflecting a lot on how music and different sounds can help me with my action plans, how I can help other CSOs realize, you know, the impact that it can have on their action plans and just uh, definitely incorporate it into my leadership strategies in the future. So thank you for that. That's excellent. Fantastic. Love that. Any final thoughts, Evan, for our listeners tonight? I think, um, you know, find someone around in your community who's doing one of the other things that we're talking about. If you're an arts person, find a STEM person and connect. If you're a STEM person, find an arts person and connect. And if you can't find someone, contact me or Garth and we'll, we'll find you some folks. But I think, yeah, it's about connecting and coming up with ideas of how you can work together and collaboratively. Excellent. So I would, I would invite everyone to do that. Yay, that's what we're all about. That's my tagline, get connected. <laughs> what about you, Garth? <laughs> um, I would. I guess I would say two things. One is in terms of music, music is really about creating a journey and telling your story. And if you listen to some of the early songs, you know, that, that people have written, Bob Dylan, for instance, you know, they're really grainy, really simple songs. And so I would say to people, it doesn't have to be some highly produced thing. Just make music, whatever that is for you. That's really important part of expression, I think. And I think the other thing is, you know, to think about the fact that we can, we work collaboratively a lot in larger teams, you know, if we're making VR, if we're making um, even uh, music productions, and to think about the fact that collaboration is really key to producing both better art and better engineering, better STEM outcomes. I agree. Well, thank you for joining us for this episode of STEM Unplugged, Exploring STEAM, STEM in Music and Media. We appreciate Garth and Evan for being on the show. And if you would like more information, please contact us at scitechinstitute.org. This is your host, Kelly Green, and we would like to discuss how you can get connected. Thank you for joining us for this episode of STEM Unplugged. We encourage you to get involved in the STEM community and stay connected at scitechinstitute.org.